Father, we just uh, receive you this time. Uh, as I share for a while, and some words uh, that you share, Lord. I pray that uh, Lord is not just saying that your voice will be the loudest in the room, Lord. We're, we're gathered not just to hear man's best thoughts or pre- prepared things. We want, to, we want to hear from your Holy Spirit. We want you to speak to us. We, we want you and um, you alone. We're your people. We're gathered in your name, your glory, your kingdom come. And I pray that your voice, Lord, would just speak to our hearts as we, as we gather in your word. Uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so those of you know, we've been in the, the Bible project for the past year. We're halfway through, halfway through the New Testament. We've read all of Luke, we went into the book of Acts, and then we've read nearly finished Paul's letters. In the next week or so, we'll finish the rest of Paul's letters, we'll go back to another gospel, and start working through them. But at the end of the year, we've gone through all of the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to share a bit from Timothy this morning um, around worship. And what we have committed to doing as preachers or as leaders is that, is that every week whoever is preaching will bring something from what you've already read this week, okay? Um, and so, come Wednesday, I had a sermon ready to go, which I thought was a good sermon based on Timothy and some of the stuff that, that I think ended up sharing anyway. But then I was praying with uh, Noel and Louise and Sharon over Zoom um, on uh, one of the mornings this week. And the Lord just like led me into, into Romans 8. And uh, to the extent where I just like never read scripture and it's like just like God is just sovereign in the moment. That I felt like if I was to preach anything else, it would be like, it doesn't make sense. And the way that I'm justifying it, right? The way I'm getting around it is that, uh, and I'll preach this morning, is that if we if we hadn't shut down for lockdown, right, when I worked it back out, the week, the next week that we would have been there, Romans 8 would have been the chapter that we were going to preach on, right? Which is handy. So it gives you a nice end to say, Here's the message that we could have preached back then, but I don't know how we would have seen the same things in it back then. Romans 8 is sometimes called uh, the greatest chapter in scripture. A lot of preachers are called that the greatest chapter. You'll see why um, as you read it. And um, my prayer is that as I, as I read it, so, um, right, Lord, this, this is your word, not my words. And uh, could it carry the weight that only your word carries, Lord, the honor it. Thank you for the gift of it. And as we read it, read it, Lord, it would be alive and active what you say it is. Um, would it do what you say it can do, Lord God? And would it change the struggle from the inside of the life? Um, so let's, let's read this. Um, so Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18, says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that all of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We just pause there for one second, just to like dwell on what we just just read that it says something about the nature of the world that we see around us. Yeah, it's the created order, the, the world, the, the governments, the economies, the nature, like everything like that's visible around. It says that somehow that creation has been subject to the like, corruption and futility. Yeah, that it's, it's, it's been like it's awaiting the freedom that's going to come when Jesus returns and when Jesus restores all things. Okay, so we've got that that creation doing that. Next verse it says twenty three. And not only the creation. But we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as God, but the Spirit Himself intercedes from us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Incredible, incredible, incredible scripture. And uh, I'm not going to speak for too long on it and let it speak for itself and reflect on it as we come around the table. But uh, I just find it so timely right now as I, as I, as I, as I read it. Like, as, I hear this, this, this description of creation being like an in-between state, right? Of creation being subject to corruption or, or even futility. And in, in many ways, like, we're living in unprecedented times, but in other ways, we're living the same story that's been there since the beginning. How did creation end up being corrupted? It says that it was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that eventually it would be set free from its bondage. You know the Genesis story that singles into the world, and, and it has not just an effect on mankind, but it has an effect on, on creation. It's like the thistles starting to grow up, the nature of work changes, the nature of childbearing changes, all this stuff that happens uh, to creation because of, of man's sin. And what this word is telling us is that. Creation itself, it's like it personifies it, and it's like it's just waiting for, for this hope to be revealed. Since Jesus has come, it's waiting for the fulfillment of what's going to happen. It's in an in-between state. He uses this word like it's subjected to futility. And if you look up the, the Greek of that word, it's a future, like, translated in the same way from the Hebrew Old Testament, the same words that are at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. You know where the teacher says it's meaningless, meaningless, everything is, is meaningless. Like if you read there, the futile, futile, everything is few times, the same words, the same thought. And outside of the gospel, you would look around at the world, you would look around at what's happening, particularly over the past couple of months, and be like, where's the, like, where's the hope? Like all this stuff that we thought we were building life upon, the economy working, jobs working, health being a given, you know, like those kind of things have just been like swept out from under us. It's like, it's like creation has just been exposed in that way. But there's hope. I think, I think the point of it is that it's been exposed that we as Christians don't just turn to like despair. We don't just look like around the world and be like, what's going on? And just like despair. We don't even just retreat, you know, and just be like, like keep ourselves in a little bubble. But, but instead, it says that creation, even in its futility, even in its corruption, is awaiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Right? It's awaiting what's going to happen when Jesus finishes while he's starting. It's like, it, 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 it can't wait for this stuff to, to happen. And we're supposed to be. The same, that we can't wait for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And I think over the past few months it's like just that's been exposed, that that futility of of creation, that, that frustration that's going on. I mean, four or five months ago, like we might have a reasonable confidence in, in the systems of this world, you know? In our economies, or in humanity's ingenuity, or our mind, or our ability to figure things out, our own capabilities. But then you've got to look on and shock guys as a virus, as an organism, whatever virus is, things so small you need to look under a microscope to see it literally stops the world in its tracks. Like it exposed the fragility of the world, otherwise we might have thought of as like unmovable, and safe and predictable, secure. Like could you imagine the thoughts four months ago that like the entire economies of the world would shut down? Like that we were just like that, that the whole world would go into lockdown. Could you like even like think of that, like that the whole world would do that, not just even our, all our systems, all our mind, all our strengths, all our plans, 
shut down by a tiny virus. And even a virus that's not that fatal. I mean, like if you think about this, like easily coronavirus could have easily been a million times more fatal than fatal, fatal, uh, fatal. And, uh, and it's like wipe out humanity. Do you know? Like, like the, the, when you look at it, it's like creation's just been exposed. And what can we do? When we look at it, that would easily lead us to despair if we didn't have the hope that we have. Jesus, he wasn't framed in this way. See, what's meant to happen, right, is that when we, when we see that exposure, it's meant to lead us to the Bible, to the Word, to say, this isn't anything new, this is, what God, this is what God has told us about creation. Like, maybe this is a time where, where we've realized that if our faith is in the systems of the world, if our faith is in the predictability of the world, like God's reminding you, no, God told you, that's not the way that the world is, it's not the way it's going to be until I return. Now, if, if, if we have come to experience in reality, that's not the way the world is, right? The world is. And that aligns with the word. What are we meant to do? We're meant to turn our belief in the rest of what the word says outward into how we experience life. Because if it's true what he says about the world and we experience it to be true now, then the rest of what he says about who we are and how we're to live at that time is also true. Yeah? And that the aim result of it shouldn't be fear, but, but hope. You see hope repeated again and again in this scripture. That, uh, that, that the creation is waiting for hope. We're waiting for hope. That hope doesn't disappoint us that. We hope for the things that we haven't seen. We need to believe that God is our work uh, restoring all things. I look at the language we use in verse 22, right? If we look around at the world, and we'll see it right now, like open up whatever, the journal that I need Facebook, open up the news sites, and we'll see the world straining and struggling. And it can easily lead to fear. We didn't know that that strain and that struggling, this is this. That straining and that struggling are the burden pains of the restoration of the world. Verse 22, what's it say? For we know that the whole of creation has been growing together in what? In, in the pains of childbirth. Until now. What's that mean? Creation growing in the pains of childbirth. See, what I think it does is it rephrases our experience of what's going on right now. But it's not just meaningless pain, it's not just meaningless suffering, but it's suffering that brings, that brings joy, that births. Something new. I've, I've never been pregnant, obviously. Uh, but I've experienced the priests going through the pains of childbirth. Um, I've experienced that. I'm building gas and air to go over, and then I saw the priests lying for the first time. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but I've seen that. And uh, framing it this way, framing, framing what we're going through as the pains of childbirth means the understand that what's on the end of it is worth it. Yeah, what's worth, what the new thing that's worth is just worth it. It brings about something that's new and that's, and that's, and that's life um, and it's, it's worth it. Childbirth is a pain worth going through. What's coming is worth it. The current pain is worth the gift of new life. Or as he says at the beginning, he says it exactly explicitly, or, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. You see, it's saying the same thing over and over again. It's like if you're going through something right now, if the world is in turmoil, if you're securing from us, if you're suffering, well, we need to await. We know that we're awaiting the glory of it. That it's not meaningless, it's not even just hanging on until it comes. It's like a thing that's forming you and it's shaping you and it's drawing you closer to Jesus and it's making you more like him and he's conforming you to the image of his son through all of this stuff until we get to go to be in glory, until he returns and earth is fully restored and creation's hope is realized. We understand that our current discomfort in this world has meaning and significance and is a reminder that God's bringing about something, a new life. And we see then that the same thing that's happening in creation is happening in us. In verse 22, we see that creation is groaning in the pain of childbirth. We've got this groaning word here. And then it says that not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit 
grown inwardly. But there's this grown in the us as well. So this season might have been uh, a season of groaning for you. It might have been a season of question, a season of wrestling, a season of what's going on, what's happening with my job, what's happening with my family, what's happening with my health, what's happening with my relationships with people. Like this constant like, tension and turmoil is a tough one. Because we live in the tension of the world that, that, that exists right now, the world that we believe is coming in Jesus. What are we meant to do? We're meant to hope. We're meant to look towards what we already have. He says this creation now. We have the first fruits of the Spirit growing inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption of some. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. It's like he's, he's, he's like, um, you know, God creates the world in Genesis. And it's like the, the earth produces fruit of its own kind, right? And it's like we have the first fruits of the new creation in us by the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? It's like the first fruits of this thing that's coming. It's like the assurance that this thing is grown, that like winter is coming to an end and spring is doing that coming into the time. We're in this like transition. We have this first fruit of the Spirit in our lives that causes us to have, to have hope, to await our adoption, as sons to await the redemption of our bodies, it says, to our glorious eternity. And we groan for that. We long for Him to, to complete our work in our lives for the day when we don't live in that tension. But the point of it is this, don't read our current discomfort as meaningless. It's the pain of childbirth. It's God birthing something new, something that lasts forever. And look at the world and see it as a turmoil. Maybe even your life looks like it's been falling apart and in turmoil. And that can lead us to despair. That can lead us to where you're going. That can lead us to why is this happening. But we're meant to know because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because we have the first fruits that God is bringing about something new. That this is not the end, but this is the sign of the new beginning that's to come. Amen? So we have creation groaning, okay? Then we have us as Christians groaning. And I never saw this before, but there's three types of groaning in this scripture. And this is where it gets ludicrous, right? This is where it becomes the gospel. This is where it becomes like incredibly, incredibly good news. And, and, and Lord, I ask that even as we read this out, that there will be more than words just by pause. What we're going to read, Lord, Pray that it would just hit us, Lord, that it would just be a prejudice, like all around, which is like the grace that you've shown us in your heart towards us, and how you can align everything on our behalf and that. Would you just do that, Spirit, if you read this next bit? So, right, we've got creation growing, we've got humanity growing, we look around and we see that, we visibly understand, like, experientially know that that's the case, right? Now, here's what it tells us has happened in heaven right now. It says, not only creation we ourselves, but in this hope, we'll get the hope down here. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we are, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes with the sense according to the will of God. Somehow when the Holy Spirit is groaning on your behalf, like the Holy Spirit is praying, is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is interceding on, on, on your behalf right now. It's like he's, he's, he's groaning for you. And not just groaning as in, like, he's not joining in your complaint, but he turns those groans into prayers that are too deep for words to even express. To intercede for somebody. If you were in trouble and I jumped in and I rescued you, I would be interceding on your behalf. Yeah? If you were powerless to do something for yourself, and I, and I, and I could help you, I could intercede. And help you do it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It says, Christian, if you, when you don't even know what to pray, when life is so confusing, when your groans are so much that you don't even know what to say to God, that the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. 
for you, that he groans with words too deep for words. Like, it sounds too deep for words on your behalf. He's like intimately, deeply, passionately involved in your success as a Christian. And it's your success as you bring it about, like what God wants in your life, bring it about the new creation. The Holy Spirit is praying. When you didn't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit was praying for you. That deposit, that first fruit were seeking the face of God for you, was stepping in on your behalf. In the same way that Jesus stepped in on our behalf and was the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And once again, he groans with us, groans with creation, groans with the Christian. You've never been alone in your distress, there's always someone praying for you, groaning for you, groaning in the pains of birth and the things of God into your life today and the purposes of God for your life. When you can't pray, when you don't know what's going on, he does know what's going on and he can. He intercedes for you. And let this blow your tongue into the mind, right? He, 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 he intercedes not just with like wishful prayers that we might pray, God do this or God do that. It says that the Holy Spirit knows the, the, the will of God. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit and the Father are one. Who knows the mind of the Father, but the Spirit that lives in it. So every prayer that the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf is prayed in line with the will of God. Which means every prayer that the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf is answered because it's prayed in line with the will of God. Like he doesn't just pray for the prayers, he doesn't just pray, he's praying for the, the purposes of God for which you were created before the foundations of the world to be unveiled in your life. And his prayers are always, always, always answered because he prays in line with the will of God. How incredible is that when you don't know how to pray, he's praying for you. When you don't know what to say, he's doing it for you. When, you, when you're broken and you're like, I don't even know how to go on, he's like praying the will of God over your life. He's reminding God of what he created you. He's proceeding on your behalf. God himself is invested in your success. In fact, he's more invested in your success than you are invested in your success. When you feel like giving up, he doesn't feel like giving up on you. He intercedes for you with Romans too deep for words. He's passionate about you. He's mad about you. That's how we can come to the confidence of God, verse 28, where we get to him saying, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. How can they? Like, what are you lacking? How can they not work together for good if the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf? How does that work in the world? How does that work in your life? And be praying for every step of the way. Guys, imagine if you just knew that the pain or struggle or frustration you're going through, that God has gone through with you. That He was groaning for you in it. He was praying for you. And that it wasn't futile or pointless or cruel, but it's actually like the pain of bringing and birthing something new. Do you get the demon down and have to pray? The Spirit of God in your prayers for you, intercedes for you, steps in for you, determined to complete what he started in you. And you get because of that grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, the purposes of God are assured for your life. That he's the one praying and he's the one answering, you're the one benefiting. Do you see the heart of God is towards you? God hasn't forsaken you, that God hasn't given up on you, that he's even more committed to his plans for your life than you are. And because of that, do you know? Like, this is knowing. I do know. Like, on that, like, bedrock, secure, unshakable, like, anchored in knowledge, do you know that all things work together for the good? Because everything you've just said, that all things, coronavirus, works together for your good. Economies falling apart works together for you. All things. That's the point of it. It's all things. Not the things that you think, but all things. Because of who God is to you. Because of what He's doing for you. 
Every single day, that's the point. I mean, would that be true, church? What, what can stand against you? Like, what can have victory over you? What despair can overtake the hope of God? What concern can overtake the goodness of God? What fear can overtake the love of God? What voice of condemnation can outspeak the voice of the Holy Spirit that groans on your behalf this morning? Longing for you to be revealed as the children of God. None. And that's where Paul goes. And what I want us to do is just uh, to read out this last piece of scripture, the piece of scripture that follows on for this. Read it out as a, a prayer over your life. I'm going to start at verse 31. Um, following on from what this has said. And I want us to all read it out together. And Father, as you do, as we proclaim this, as we seek it out, it will become a reality in our lives. We know the reality of, of the assurance that you have for us. All things, Lord. Don't let Lord pray. Nobody would leave here without knowing, like knowing that all things. So when something else shifts in their mind on Monday morning, Lord, when something else looks for their attention, when something else says, "Oh, but what about this? Like it's going to be bad. It's going to be like that." They would know, like know, that all things work together because of what is backed up by, because of the work of Your Son, because of the sending of Your Holy Spirit, because of the return of the King who's coming to restore all things. I pray as we read this and. Uh, that it will be a reality in your life. It's probably the time you read the reading to another screen, but here we go. <laughs> so, all together, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's event? It is God who justifies. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 Lord, we take, as we share your communion, we take those realities into our life's love. We remember you, Jesus. We participate you. The Jesus who died, the Jesus who rose again, the Jesus who was crushed for our iniquities, Lord, who bore the weight of our shame and our sin, and who bore whose burden us into new life, Lord. We confess all of these things we've read, Lord, over our lives. We speak them out in faith, and as we remember you, Jesus, we remember how they are true because of the cost you bore, because of your love for us. Because of your sacrificial death. Because of your awesome power to find a resurrection. Because of your ascension. 
because of your continuing intercession on our behalf, and because of the assurance of your glorious return and the restoration of all things. As we take the bread and the wine, we remember you, Lord. And we pray that all of these things, all of these truths, we have become one with them now, Lord. They have become realities in our lives. In your own heart, to take the bread and take the, the bread. I want to, uh, I want to play this song. It's like a fundamental song. And I'm going to leave that scripture up on the screen. And uh, if you're in little groups and you want to take communion together, really, for what I would love you to do is to reflect on the truth that's up there. And I want you to, I want you to, I want you to feel the Spirit wants you to to align your hearts with what they said about you. That it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. As you play it, you leave it there, just meditate on the Lord and take some moments. Just respect the movement of the Lord and to obey the, to obey the Lord's presence. Let me play this.